0: Welcome to People's Church Radio Program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. Today we are finishing off our series on rethinking your health. We have talked about it in different frameworks. First off, we talked about uh, health uh, when it came to the idea of uh, just simply our mental state, our thinking. We've done emotional, and then last week we did relational. This week we did financial. And you are obviously the courageous ones that turned up today. Um, this is a subject that everybody is a little bit, can we say, awkward with. This, this stirs mm, kind of angst in us one way or another, no matter which way we take. But let's just start. If we're going to talk about financial health, we have to take a look at how we define that term because uh, that's defined by most people in a way that would not be biblical. So the way that it's often defined to financial health is whether I have the correct objectives, that I am on my plan and strategy to get to those objectives, and that I have an appropriate balance uh, in my uh, debt to asset ratio, uh, that I am on track, basically, financially, and feeling secure in the plan that I have. That's financial health in the world setting. It basically takes a look at the plans that you've got, whether they match the objectives that you want, and you know this because you've sat down with your financial planners, or you've sat down and worked your way through things uh, to get those kinds of plans. Now, next, that's not how the Bible starts the definition of financial health. You see, that word health is incredibly important. Financial health starts with something far deeper than a plan. Financial health starts In the human heart Now there is a Love That if you have it It will challenge and it will destroy it And it will denigrate all other loves in your life It will force surrender to Itself And it will upset A lot of the things that are truly valuable About your life We're going to start with a scripture that is found in Hebrews 13. And it is a great scripture. I'm gonna read first the King James Version. We're gonna look at it in three different versions. So the first uh, uh, version says this, let your conversation be without covetousness. That's an interesting phrase, it's a turn of a phrase. And it means sort of the idea of your mind not being focused in thinking about this thing that we're gonna be talking about today. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. There is incredible power in these phrases and we're gonna take a little look at them and break them down a little bit. Now I'm afraid that this precept that we're gonna look at today is even more needed today than in, the, than in the day it was inspired and written. The day that the Holy Spirit put this into the mind and the fingertips of man to write this, I believe that this is now the number one sin in the world. In fact, I believe that it has been around always the number one position for all of human history. You always hear people talk about how religion is the cause of wars and all of this. You are so disconnected from history. This is the cause of all wars. This is the cause of man against man. This is the cause of broken relationships. This is the cause. We covet what another nation has and we want to take it we covet what our neighbor has and we want to take it this is a sin that is i would say the ugliest of all sin now, i'm starting off very strong on this because this is a sin that nobody wants to admit to it is not easy for a person to keep their heart clear of covetousness or our hands clean. There's a singular stickiness about gold and silver. It has its own way of sticking uniquely to our hearts and to our hands. It has a great tendency Now here's a term you would not have heard of before, and I'm gonna explain it because I just think when I came across this word I thought this is the perfect explanation of how this stickiness works. There's a word called birdlime. Does anybody know what birdlime means? Has anybody ever heard the word before, birdlime? They actually, it's a current word. Here's what they actually do with birdlime. You can Google it, okay. Birdlime, it's a sticky substance they put on branches when they want to catch small birds till the birds land and they're stuck. This kind of sin has that same kind of stickiness. You're going about your daily things. You never think differently about one branch being different than another branch. I mean, you're just a bird flitting around. Roll with me on it. And you land on a branch, and all of a sudden you can't lift off again. You can't ascend to where that day should have taken you. You can't ascend to where that relationship, what it could have been. because you have been stuck to the wrong idea of power. So they cannot rise these birds. They cannot increase their influence to where it could have been. The revised version reads this text. This way, be you free from the love of money. And it puts in the margin, let your turn of mind be free from the love of money. That how your mind turns, let it be free from the love of money. We want to all enjoy that kind of freedom. We want we want we want our turn of mind to lead us to seek better things in life. What life can actually really bring and build in the greatest beauties of life rather than what the miser is able to hoard. By the way, you can be a miser without money or with money. There's a laudable pursuit. Of profit so that a business might function, so that a business might have a growth within it for the benefit of the people that produce the goods, market the goods, carry the goods, buy the goods. But there is a razor's edge, a razor's edge between that which is laudable and that which is coming into this particular sin covetous we're talking about relational health the easy part of it is the plans that's the easy part it's actually easy to put a plan together to get out of debt no seriously it really is it's not hard it's not hard to put a plan together to invest it is not hard For you to be a saver with a plan. You can have a plan. Uh, It starts with having a spending plan. Would you agree with that? It's not hard to put those kind of plans together. What is hard is to protect our hearts against this particular sin in a society ripe. Rivers of this sin running through all of our society. And thereby very accessible to us and our families and into our hearts it starts off and it says let your conversation be without covetousness it's really an important thing he's saying conversation is that daily exercise between you and everybody how many know we even have an internal conversation going on all the time Anybody here not talk to themselves? You always have. You have an internal conversation going here. You have an external conversations going out here. You're going to have conversations. You've already had conversations this morning. Life is one long conversation. It really is. You're conversing all of the time. That's what life is. And he's saying... Let your conversation be without covetousness. When you have conversation with your neighbor, don't let it be in covetousness. When you have conversation with your wife, don't let it be in covetousness. Don't let covetousness invade this ongoing practice of conversation. I want what you have. I want what they have. It's not fair that they have that. Covetousness. Uh, The answer to a lot of this is found in the next phrase. And be content with such things as you have. Wow, now that is a difficult thing. It's a matter of the heart. Contentment is a heart matter, but you can teach your heart. Contentment is a learned art. You're not born content. How many know there's not a baby that was ever born content? Never born content. If if they were, you would get all the sleep you needed, you'd never have to do anything. Why, anyway? Babies are born without contentment. But you grow contentment. And he's saying that contentment is the rare air here. If you want to breathe clean air without covetousness, contentment is the key. Contentment, and he's not talking about how we think about contentment, we think about contentment this way. When I have that, when we get there, when we achieve that, when that objective gets hit, then we will be content. No, no, you're, you're looking in the future. He's not talking about the future. He's talking about right now. He's saying, and be content with such things as you have. He's talking in the present. This is a rare drug in the market, folks. Contentment. The words of the apostle who wrote Hebrews, we believe Paul, make up this golden sentence, be content with such things as you have. But we are always working out what's the next thing to reach contentment then I'll be content we do this with seasons of life I'll be content when this happens in my life I'll be content when I'm finally out of this season I'll be content when I'm in this season I'll be content he's saying that is an awful way to live and what's going to happen is that that. Lack of contentment is going to take away the best of what God can bless your life with. You'll never reach the rare air of what God has for your life. Because contentment is the only thing that releases you into that stratosphere. It can't be if you had a little more, I would be satisfied. Be content with such things as you have. Now you and I find that a difficult thing and the reason we find that a difficult thing is because everything in our culture, in, our, in the way that we do economics, in the way that we do life and our value system is upside down to this. We want to create discontentment. Discontentment is the foundation used for buying. For planning, everything falls into that. We create discontentment. Oh, you don't have this? Has anybody ever tried to order lately some of the the uh, video game bases? Like nobody has these. Like it's we're in an age now where the supply is a problem. What we're missing about this big word, contentment, is that it is the foundation of anything good and healthy in your life and bringing the best things out of your life. It's what makes your relationship stronger. It's what makes your emotional health stronger. It's what makes your, your mental health stronger. That is contentment. Contentment is the base out of which these things are healthy and are strong. And so when we talk about finance, this is the number one thing. Why would we take, finance and talk about it this way well i want to jump out of the scripture for a moment and go to first timothy 6 10 and in timothy first 6 10 it says this for the love of money is the root of all evil but you got to keep that did it it's talking about the love of money not whether you have it or don't have it because you can love money and not have it you can love money and have it it's It's the position of this. It's a love. It is the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. More or less, they never reached the stratosphere. They didn't get to the rare air. They've got lots of sorrows and it's piercing them, but they had this trade-off of not contentment, but of this false security. This is not where your soul will thrive. Paul said, I have learned to be content in all situations. Whether everything's up or whether everything's down. I've learned it. How did he learn it? By challenging the love uh, in his life. That he would not love money. That he would not love even, the, even his own life over the value of serving the Lord. Why is this such a sin that nobody wants to identify? Why is that? Kathy? Shh. <laughs> Thank you. This is a sin that nobody wants to identify with. Why? There was a guy by the name of St. Francis de Sales. He was an eminent confessor in the Roman Catholic Church, meaning that a lot of the uppity ups would go and confess to this uh, particular fellow, and uh, he found that persons confessed to him all kinds of horrible sins, such as adultery drunkenness, murder, but he had never had one person confess the sin of covetousness. Why? What is it about? It's a love. It's not even a moral failure. It's a fundamental. The love of money is the root of all evil. If I was to actually draw that out, there's actually maybe a little picture of this. When it uses the word root, well, I'm going to draw a very, very rooty little tree. There, I learned that in uh, advanced art class. So what you have here is the roots. Well, what do the roots do for the tree? They send the nutrients up. They keep alive this tree. And it's saying there's a connection. That's saying that the love of money is a root and that the tree of evil is fed and nourished by this love. There's a nourishment factor from this love of money. You wonder why evil grows in a land? It has a lot to do with covetousness. Because it advances violence against one another, not just physically, but all forms of violence. It affects emotional and mental and relational health. Do you know the number one reason that marriages fail is financial problems? And you think, well, why don't they just fix the problems and everything be good? Because it's never really the problem. Roots bring nourishment to whatever the tree is. And Jesus says, this is a root of all sin. This is a tough message for us in our society. This is a tough message for me to prepare. Because we got to take long looks deep into our hearts and see what is drawing up the nourishment. How come I'm struggling with anxiety or fear why am I having anxiety up here? Why am I having fear? Why am I having this type of anger? There's different economic systems that the world is devising. It's been around forever. There is the idea of capitalist system where the individual is based on the idea of just simply uh, goods produced. The idea of then we sell and market those and it's all market forces that direct capitalism with no governing forces alongside that. And we think, well, that must be the love of money kind of thing. Well, no, no, it's not. You see, if, if you come from a communist persuasion, the communists say, well, there is no individual private good or ownership. It's just all corporate. We're all public good, public ownership. That's just another way for you to achieve the love of money in a way that comes from everybody else. It's just taking it out of the individual and putting it into the government. Socialism. It's the same thing. All of these things are just ways of us achieving different ways to achieve what the love of money wants in our life. Why did they want money? Why is it such a big deal? Well, that leads us to another picture, a piece of art again. I just can't help it. It's just a passion. The word contentment is where we want to be, right? So if the word contentment, you see how that is something that's absolutely opposed to anything growing on this tree. It's absolutely opposed. It's not on the same tree. It's not a fruit on the same tree. It's a different tree. So now you've got content. And he's saying contentment is the key for you to actually not live covetously, which is the root of all evil. So how do we achieve contentment then? How do we do that? We think, well, our mind is, when I get here by the end of this year or by the end of next year, I'm gonna be content because plan achieved, plan done. Objectives hit. Doesn't work because contentment is not a, a state that you draw from a situation that is there. It draws from a different place, which I'm going to read to you further in just a second. You see, contentment has a different sourcing. Now let's now let's read that that verse in its entirety. Go back to Hebrews thirteen five. And it says this, and be content with such thing as you have, for he hath said. Do you know what that means? He's saying, God's word. Here's God's word on this. You wanna know what God says on this? Here's God's word. For what he has said, he has said means we get God's word on this. And if, if you've got God's word on something, you can bank on it. You can absolutely bank on it. There's an old story told about a Sunday school teacher trying to teach kids. Um, you know, this idea of uh, faith. And so he took his watch, which was a rare thing in those days. This is an old story. And he said, here's my watch. And he walked up to the first kid in his class and he said, uh, uh, would you like to have my watch? Do you want this? And the kid said, in some polite fashion, Oh, no, sir, I could never do that. He goes to another kid and said, would you, would you like my watch? Oh, no, sir, I, I wouldn't take that from you. That must have been a, a gift that you have received. And it's, it's too much. Till he finally comes to a kid that was a little more simpler in the class, and the kid said, yeah, I'll take it, and he took it, and he put it in his pocket, and all the other kids all of a sudden realized they just missed out on the watch, and how did they miss out on the watch? They were too dignified to believe that this teacher was actually going to do it. And that's what they said. Oh, we didn't know you were really going to give it away. We thought you were just testing us with, no. It was a genuine offer. When God gives you his word, oftentimes your barriers are this dignified kind of approach and almost this denial that you would like that or need that. Whereas when we are in simple fashion And we say, you know what? I'm just going to believe that. I'm going to grab it. Are you kidding? You're offering me a watch? Thank you. For he hath said. And what did he say? Here's what he said. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In my mom's Bible, I was reading it last night. And this is kind of cool. I've been studying this out, knowing what I'm gonna speak on, working Hebrews 13, five, and then there's several other scriptures to sustain it. Now my mom's Bible that she gave me uh, and I received upon her death, it was a, it's really well-worn. And there's even pages, you know, you, you know, it's, it's like one of those, one of those. So I'm reading, I'm reading and right in, in her open, just in her fly cover, There's written this. I should have brought it. I'll be close. And she wrote this. She said, When I was 16, I had an experience with God. And now I promise to live my life trusting Him in everything. And then she had this verse. So here I'm reading, I've been studying this thing, I read it, and there's my mom. Now I know it's not just Jesus wants to talk to you, it's my mom. Amen. 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 I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. When you pass through the waters, they're not going to overwhelm you. When you go through the fire, it's not going to kindle upon you. What's he saying? He's saying, do you really think that if I give my word, I'm not going to be there? You don't need anything between you and me. You don't need money to be content. Trust my word. When you're looking to money for contentment, you're loving it. I will be content in my senior age because I have money. I will be content in my uh, middle age because uh, we have some money. We have enough. We've got, we've got enough to pay the mortgage. We've got something building towards the kids, RESP fund. We've got it all. Like, we got it all laid out. You know, we got our plan. You'll never be content when you look to money between you and contentment. This is the foundation of starting to become content. And he said, and he said, and he said. Oh yeah, this is the one that walks on water. This is the one that heals sick. This is the one that created the world and all that there is, and it still consists at his word. This one And he said I will never leave you I will never forsake you So like Paul Whether I'm in want and need Or whether I am totally over the abundance Satisfied No matter what state I am in I am content Why? I got his word I got him And he's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. When I go through tough times, when I go through times of hurt or loss, when I go through risky times, I've got him. Covetousness breeds a heart that loses its sensibilities. It's, it, it can't join in in a sensitive way with people around. First, how it must be satisfied in some way. It, 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 it makes impure the pure waters of what a relationship can be. It tarnishes. It, it puts something into it that, that, that takes away from it. it is the death of a good conscience the love of money is a blindness to our minds but he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is the reason we must not ever be covetous. There is no room to be covetous, no excuse for being covetous, for God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We ought to be content. If we are not content, we are acting really out of our minds, seeing as the Lord has said, I will never leave you, and I will never, ever, ever, ever forsake you. In the Greek, what I just said is, actually truer to the Greek. It has five negatives in it, meaning this. I will never, never, I will never, never. Now in the English, that seems like it's overworked. In the Greek, it's more than acceptable. It just means I'll never, ever, never, never. The other thing about this is the word you you can look at that you and you, have, you can't just treat that in the plural sense. You must treat that in the singular sense. He's talking to you. I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. That is where contentment is going to start to emerge from in your life. Without it, You will not. But look at the last verse on this in the King James Version. So that we may boldly say, here's, if he's gonna, if he's never gonna leave me and never gonna forsake me, then I can boldly say, I can state it, I can shout it from the tops of the tall buildings, from the mountaintops of this world, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do to me. If you have the love of money, you have a big fear of what man can do to you. Because covetousness means we're in a competition. They just want what I got. The state of the believer that takes God at his word... And here's the word of God that says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee is, oh man, I can boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do to me because you see the fact is, whatever they think they can do for me, God is my keeper. Where's the room for anxiety or fear or greed? Listen to these scriptures in other versions. In the NIV, it says it this way. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me if he will never leave me or forsake me and he's standing beside me in everything in life, every challenge, Everything I'm going through, every season I walk through, whether I'm up, whether I'm down, he's in me in the wins, he's with me in the losses, where do I lose? Listen to it in the message. Version. Don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. By the way, do you know the best state to enjoy what you have? It's the state of relaxed. That's a good word, isn't it? I'm just relaxed. I I just celebrate what I'm blessed with. I celebrate today. I'm not going to try and say, well, when I get this, then I'll be content. I'm going to be in contentment today and I'm in this relaxed, contented phase and I'm able to really enjoy what I have. I don't think you can even enjoy what you have without contentment. It goes away really quick. The shine comes off of things really fast. Be relaxed with what you have. Since God assured us, I'll never let you down. Never walk off and leave you. We can boldly quote, God is there, ready to help. I'm fearless no matter what, who or what. Who or what can get to me? Who or what can get to your relationship? Who or what can get to your mental health? Who or what can get to your emotional health? Who or what can get to your relational health? Covet can It's like a little snake that can find the smallest of holes to come in. It's a razor's edge. But you will start to see the fruit of it. <clears throat> because the fruit of it is anger, fear, anxiety, pride. Pride. sin goes up it's being nourished it's getting lots of nourishment from those roots Jesus said this you cannot serve both God and money he identified money as the number one competitor for your love now here's the difference when you love God Isn't it funny, but the more that you learn to love God, the more you love your spouse, the more you love your neighbor, the more that you love even yourself, the more that you love others around you, the more you can love your enemy, the more that you'll love those difficult to love, the more that you'll love. Your love just goes up, but the more you love money, love goes down because it places you into a competitive situation. And you're competing for either security Or power, freedom, and all of it, you will find the opposite is true because it is the sales pitch of the enemy. And just like from the garden, anything he says you get from it, take the reverse. This is for your health. This isn't a giving message. It's not an investing message. This is not a get out of debt message. This is a healthy heart message. One that is identifying what we know to be true. That the love of money causes all kinds of issues in our lives. So, Be healthy. Learn contentment. How do I learn contentment? I'm learning contentment when I trust this. I'm learning contentment when I get to know what he says specifically. He said this to me. I'll never leave you. You say, oh God, it's tough. I'll never leave you. I won't ever forsake you. But God, I I could grow old and, and, and I could be in the worst poverty possible and I'm gonna be in a situation where it's just gonna be, oh, it'll be awful. I will be with you. I will never, ever, ever leave you. I will never forsake you or cast you aside. Where is there room for what this tree produces in trusting this? Trust His word. That's where financial health starts. For you as a believer, you trust what He says. God is watching over me. What do you have to worry about? Don't you see the flowers that I have spun for you? Aren't they magnificent? And yet they only last a season and they're gone. Don't you see the birds? Do you know that I know when one bird falls to the ground, how much more valuable are you to me than birds? Come on. Don't waste your life. enjoy your life celebrate his blessings find his strengths when it comes to his word and trust and you will find contentment is the great gold of life would you stand with me please now for those of you that were coming expecting financial plans you just got one Because anything you do once that's settled and you're building the right thing over here works. But Wednesday night we'll dive a little deeper. Might have some fun with a few other plans. Let's bow together. Father, you know us so well and how easy it is for that little snake to sneak through the smallest of hole and find its room Lord in our hearts and put a love for the wrong thing which causes the wrong things to grow and ripen in our life and in our relationships, in our minds, our mental health, our spiritual health, our relational health Lord and certainly in our financial health Lord. It's just wrong. It's wrong, Lord, for us to think that somehow uh, financial health is having money or not having money. It's money not having us. Only you have us. And you've said we have you. We trust it. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said... Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.